Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Your word says, the entrance of your word brings light. Therefore, Lord, where there is no word, there is no light. And I pray, Father, that every area of our life which is still dark, we will allow your word to come in. Your word says, your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. If your word doesn't direct our steps, we are walking in darkness. And I pray, Father, this 11th here, we will allow more than ever before your word, your spirit, to direct our steps. So even this morning, as we come to the ministry of the word of God, I pray, we will allow your word, your light to enter and allow it to dispel the darkness in us. However long the darkness may be dwelling in us, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, I pray today, Lord, the word will dispel that darkness. Every preconceived idea, every stronghold that opposes the knowledge of Jesus Christ I pray Father will be pulled down by the word and by the spirit that will bring every thought to the obedience of Christ Jesus. We wait, you speak, for in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Like I said, we have come a long, long way, 10 years, spiritually. Otherwise, it's just a number. Okay? Uh, we are not doing numerology. But numbers have significance in the kingdom of God to the point we have a book called the book of numbers. Okay? It's a very important, very special spiritual marker, 10. Spiritually speaking. You know, Noah was the 10th from Adam. And that was a generation that was first judged with a worldwide judgment. And we know only eight people came through. Eight signifying new beginnings. Seven signifying completion. And eight signifying new beginnings. Abraham was ten years in the promised land. And then he failed the test. He listened to Sarah's voice. Never sought God's Council created an Ishmael, and because of his failure in that judgment, we still are going through a crisis everywhere, including the report that came in today. 500 churches shut down in London, 473 mosques open. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I'm telling you how the world is changing because of some mistakes, some incredible people in God's plan. Your mistake and my mistake is not like Abraham's mistake. When Abraham fails in 10 years, at the point of 10 years in his judgment, it creates a rippling effect which will go on till the end, till Jesus comes. Okay, so remember 10. 
When Eliezer is sent to find a bride for Isaac, he actually goes with ten camels. Perfect provision for the bride of Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God comes with complete provision for If you know the temple, if you read through the accounts of the temple, the tabernacle which was built in the wilderness and the temple that Solomon built, you will see ten coming over and over and over and over from the holy place onwards. Everywhere the number tens completely appears. I'm just giving you a random. If you look at David, when his father sends him to check out on his brothers, which will change his life because he meets Goliath, he's sent with Ten loaves of bread and ten cheeses, as the Bible records it. Naomi, her husband, because of famine in the promised land, goes to Moab ten years down the line. They come through judgment. She loses all the males in her family. Her husband, her sons, left with two Moabite daughters-in-law. One chooses to follow God till the end. And the redemption process of Israel begins with one girl, who came through at the end of 10th year. Okay? So there are so many things personally in my life. I know I came to the Lord in 84. I fought him for 10 years. And at the 10th year was over. I said I give in. And I gave my ministry. Full time ministry began at the end of 10 years. Another 10 years down the line, 2004, my life took an incredible shift. It changed in a completely Unimagined direction, I never knew, ever thought it would happen that way. But 10 years down the line, that also shifted. 8 years down the line, after that second 10 years, 2012, I had new beginnings. So numbers have played incredible this thing in my life. This is not numerology, it's got to do with God's numbers. And now for the church, we are at the 11th year, 10 years are over. But one of the most significant numbers in the Bible connected with number 10 is what God tells Israel in Numbers 14 and verse 22. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice. God said, that's it. You are neither going into the promised land nor will I let you go back to Egypt. You'll all wander in the wilderness and just die. Ten times. Okay, that's not the message. Don't worry about that. You're not going to die. He came to give us life. Okay? So remember, it has significance and spiritually you receive it and say, Lord, I want to come through and I want to possess my promised land, my promised life. You have promised a life to me. I want to inherit my promises. I want to. So do we go to this very familiar text today, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, beseech you, I beg you. This is a pastor telling his sheep, I beg you, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is our aim. This is God's destiny for us, but statistically speaking, from Adam down to the last man, very few will make it. 
to that point. But that's our destiny. See, for everything, there is a preparation. There is a preparation. And uh, it's very important that we prepare ourselves so that we can receive something. Like I was telling the young man yesterday, like, if somebody were to serve you food, even if it's very appetizing food, in an incredibly dirty plate, unless you are desperate and at the words of death, you wouldn't eat. It would still put you off. The food is attractive, but the plate is dirty. So what we do is we wash our plates, we wipe our plates, and in the hotels they warm our plates. Okay? All kind of stuff they do. Okay? You realize because they realize there is a preparation to receive something. It is into that plate that we receive the food. Verse 1 is talking about how we prepare to receive the plans and the purposes of God. There is a preparation. One of the reasons why you must have heard for 10 years and every church, every part of the world where I have preached, the first time I tell them the same things. You want to receive something that is incredibly beautiful from God. There is a preparation you do the previous day. If your Saturday doesn't define more than any other days of the week, because five days a day you work, maybe six also you work, but if your Saturday doesn't define your Sunday, what you receive on Sunday will be very little. There is a preparation. And the preparation is primarily with your bodies first. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not only that, because what you are receiving is something from a holy God and his holy word. He says, prepare it in a way that your plate is holy and acceptable to the one who is serving, not the one who is receiving. In the world, we prepare the plate for the one who is receiving. Here it is the other way around. This is a server who will not serve holy food into a dirty vessel. So there is a preparation which we constantly do. We do. Write it down, young kids, I'm telling you. Have your diaries. That's why at the beginning of the year we give you a diary. I don't give you a pen. I give you a diary. Okay? Right? Because you need to remember these things. It will come of use when you grow up earlier. Prepare yourself holy and acceptable. The last hours of Saturday before you go to sleep, and try to go to sleep early so that you don't come to church and sleep and nod off. You prepare yourself spiritually and ask God, show me, cleanse me, sanctify me. So tomorrow when your word comes, it comes into a body that has been prepared for you, holy and acceptable. But the word is not actually going into the body. The word is actually going into the mind. So the second stage is a preparation of the mind. And the first thing it says, you know, the world is full of ideas and ideologies. Put it all away. Put it all away. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. That means switch your TV off. Today's language. Stay out of internet. 
Stay out of YouTube. Maybe listen to a message on YouTube, but don't watch stuff so that your mind is not conformed to the patterns of the world, which is very subtly sold to us through incredibly entertaining media. Then you come here, you're not listening to the word, you're fighting the word. Fighting the word. Because your mind has already confirmed till you woke up to a particular pattern and then you're coming over into a church which is trying to battle your mind to conform to the pattern of God's. So your mind has to be renewed. The mind is not renewed. You will never be able to prove, understand what is the will of God. You need to realize the key is the mind. First Peter chapter 4 verse 7 when Peter is talking about the last days. So unlike the people of the earlier ages, for us it matters even more. The end of all things is at hand. And it's going to come down upon us like the flood came upon Noah's generation. And the first warning is when you know the end is coming and you don't know when the end will come, the first thing is that therefore be serious or clear-minded, sober. Another version will use the term clear-minded. Be serious, clear-minded, your mind. So you are able to understand what is happening around. You see the spiritual shifts taking place all around the world. And we realize Spiritually looking, it is not a chedin. It is the day is coming closer and closer and closer. So you are clear-minded, very sober. You are not looking at world events and saying, yes, I'm going to build my mansion. No, you realize it is coming closer and closer because you are clear-minded, you are sober-minded. Because I will tell you, you will hear this through and through the message, one sentence probably being repeated. Whoever has your mind, has your body. Whoever has your mind, has your body. The people in the world, everything they are doing is directed at your mind. If they know they have your mind today, they know you. they will have your body tomorrow. Every advertisement is aimed at your mind. You will sit before the TV, you will watch, it. Watch. it's all flashing into your mind. Tomorrow, you go and buy that product. That's why advertisement plays such a huge impact in today's marketing. It doesn't matter how good the product is. If it is not advertised, it is not sold because they need your mind first. Ideas and ideologies are all taught to us and sold to our mind. And our mind is conformed to that. They know. Your body is gone. So God says, surrender your body, wholly acceptable like a plate that is cleansed, to receive that teaching that will renew your mind, so that tomorrow your body will follow where your mind goes. And your mind is following Christ. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. You can sit in a church all your life. Once you leave, your body will go elsewhere. Because where your mind is today, your body will be tomorrow. You know, you came to the church today. But yesterday, your mind told you tomorrow is Sunday. Tomorrow is Sunday. 
many of you made certain preparations which is different in your life from other days because your mind already came here one day before and your body followed. And those of you who haven't come and who will come probably to the middle or the end is simply because yesterday your mind did not prepare for today. That's how it works. The world, the devil through the world wants our mind. God also wants our mind. And he wants to renew our mind. The devil says, don't listen to God's word. God says, don't listen to the world's word. There is a don't and there is a do from both. God says, do not be confirmed to the pattern of the world. But by the renewing of your mind. You need to realize that's why what you see when you read the four gospels. To all those who followed him. Often he would ask the question, what do you want? What do you want? And they will say, I want this. Take it and go. And most of the people, I would say like if you read the biblical account, almost 99.9% of the people that followed him, followed him for a physical need. But in the gospel according to John, when John points that behold the Lamb of God and two of his disciples follow him, he turns around and says, what do you seek? What do you seek? And they said, where do you live? He said, come. Stay with me. See, those whose minds operated at a bodily level, he gave them what they wanted, but he sought who would follow his mind, his teaching. He sought them. They were called the disciples. That's why the commission is to make disciples of all nations. Because Christ wants your mind. Because he knows if he has your mind, he will have your body. The discipleship is the act of giving your body and your mind daily to Christ. It's a daily process. And we talk about faith. There are two kinds of faith. There are different kinds of faith in the Bible, even among believers. One of the faith you see is people doing incredible things by faith. The power of God flows into them. They you see, but they don't end well. Their terrible circumstances change their thinking according for that circumstances for a certain period of time. And when that trouble passed away and they overcame it, they went back to their old setting. And they will finish badly. But there is another faith which Paul is talking about. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith where the mind is following Christ till the end. And therefore, through the desert, through the mountains, through the valleys, through the trials, the furnace, the prison, still death, that mind follows Christ and the body follows Christ. That's what we are talking about. That's what real faith we are talking about. Faith, like if you were there yesterday, over the years, especially yesterday, the boys will hear recap. Faith has many components, many components. The first component of faith is seen in Romans 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. That's why we need, I need your ears. I need your ears. Faith comes by hearing. 
not hearing anything, hearing faith that comes, not anything that comes, faith that comes by hearing, comes by the hearing of the word of God. The first component of faith is hearing. That's why when we read our Bible, something or other disturbs us. When you are sitting in the church, some baby is suddenly tickled by a demon and he starts whining or crying or she starts howling. Because we need to realize there are supernatural powers actually working. Actually working. For what? To see that we don't hear the word because faith comes from hearing. Like in the, the, the trip I had, I saw mothers, it was very strange what the mothers did. They said, what you are going to do is that the meetings were all in the night. So through the day, they kept their babies awake. Kept their babies awake. All of them, one way or other, kept them awake. As soon as they came to church, they all slept through the message. They said, you know what? We ain't gonna let this little one disturb us from the hearing of the word. Hearing. The first component is hearing. Faith comes from hearing. When you hear. Listen now carefully. When you hear with your ears, this is not the main thing. This is through which it gets in. The hearing is talking about your mind. That is the processing center. Processing center. In that processing center, you need to have knowledge to process what is coming in. You need to have knowledge. God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? The word of God. If you don't have the word of God here, even when you are hearing the word of God, you are processing it with the world. Psychology, geology, biology, zoology, history, sociology, oh, different feminism, humanism, communism, Marxism, name anything. All this is turning around at million seconds. No, whatever speed and it is processing the data. The greatest computer ever discovered or invented is the human mind. It's processing it and all of us are processing it differently. The only way we can process it all the same way is when our mind is completely defined by the word of God and our spirit controlled by the spirit of God, we will process it the same way. That is the unity of faith the Bible is talking about where you will come to the maturity that is in Christ Jesus where the processing center is the same. That is why I keep telling young people and I keep telling everybody, you need to know your text. This. Don't read other books first because that will even put a color, this thing on your eyes. Even Christian books. First, get your text. The others are guides. If you know your text well, even if a guide has gone wrong, you will realize 90% of this guide is right, 5% is wrong, because you know your text well. This is what you need to know your text over and over and over and over and over. Like on the car coming here, I was talking to George, and he was saying in his Bible college, the, the professor who teaches uh, the book of Acts, he said in one of the class was two and a half hours, she made them sit there and read the entire book of Acts. Sit there and read in one sitting. And then again they had to do a second time. And I said, that's an awesome college, because that's how it should be taught. You need to read and know your text so well, then teach doctrine and leave it to, to how to interpret. The problem with the church in the last days is people do not know their text. 
That's a processing center. And we have to keep growing in our knowledge of the text. And our processing of what we hear will change. The mind, the hearing goes through the mind where it is being processed. And the next one is in Romans 10.8. Next to, what does it say? Word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. What the mind processes and what your mind says, this is true. Is what your heart believes. It receives, I believe in this. And what you believe could be wrong. Because your processing is wrong. What you believe could be true. Because your processing is right. But the heart believes. So there is the ear which goes into the mind. The mind processes. It receives certain ideas. You believe it has truth. And then when you open your mouth... That is actually what comes out. That is actually what comes out. Open your mouth. Not open your mouth when you are asked to memorize scripture and speak it out. That's not what we are talking about. When you face real life crisis and situations, carry, I told my church there, carry, your mobile has this recorder. Record it in the morning and just keep it like that for 24 hours and go back and listen to your conversation. You will exactly know how much you believe. That much of our conversation doesn't tally at all with the truth of God's word. Understood? In Acts chapter 16 verse 25 we see an incredible scene where they are in prison, back broken at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Why? Because that's exactly what they believed we are supposed to do in this situation. They had heard the word, the mind had processed it, when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. They had heard it, heard it, heard, mind had processed it, heart had believed it, when the situation came, the mouth speaks it. And that is true. That's genuine faith. You see, that's why God puts us in situations so that we get to know what we really... He's not trying to punish us, but to show us this is error, error, error in your thinking. In Habakkuk chapter 3, you will see these famous lines, though the fig tree may not blossom, no fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in these stalls. Mind is processing all this. Everything is empty. Field is empty. Garden is empty. Stall is empty. Everything is empty. But heart has believed something that has gone in earlier. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. The reality that I see with my eyes is not the truth of God. The doctor's report you received is not the truth. Unless God has told you it is over. It's not the truth. When God tells you it is over, then that be the medical report and God's report tally. But when God's report has been tallied with the medical report, you still speak what God's report says. Because you say it's not over yet. I still got some more work to finish. Get this right. That's how it works. And 
Yet I will rejoice in the, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And verse 19 says, the Lord is my strength. He will make me. You see, before any of these things happens, he's already proclaiming it because that's what he believes. This hasn't happened. He's not saying I am going. He says he will make my feet like deer's feet. All these trials and testing will only enable me to go to higher levels with God and not pull me down because that's what he believes. Therefore, he confesses. But his belief comes from his mind how he has processed. So many of you have finished your exams. Your results have come. Ten of you are going into college. It doesn't matter which college you go to. You have to believe. He's got your life in your hands. And as a father would want for every child of his, he wants their feet only go up and not come down. You need to believe that. You need to believe. That's why I said education should be a discipline and not a competition. It's a discipline you learn in life. How I work, how I function. Rest should be in his hands. And he says, it doesn't matter which place the world takes you. Your feet will only climb up higher and not down. Spiritually, you'll only grow closer to me and not be pulled down. You have to think that way. In Numbers 21, one of the verses, I think we saw this earlier. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. The way that God takes us can be very long and tedious. But the way becomes bearable and the way becomes enjoyable. Though the body grows weary, physical, natural weariness, is because you know the one who is taking you. If you do not doubt, it's one thing to sit, stand here and say, God is good all the time. But do we really believe God is good all the time? If God is good all the time, our hearts should not get weary because of the way. Because to, for you and me, in the new covenant, he himself is the way. They got, grew weary. And how do you know they haven't believed what they have heard? They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. And when they open their mouth, you will realize they've heard a lot of things. They have believed nothing. Because what they believe comes and they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Let me ask you this question. Did God bring them out of the wilderness to die or to live? Often we react same way when we go through crisis in our marriages, our homes, with our children, with our workplace, every strata of our life. When we go through the, look at your response. What is our response? And the people spoke for there is no food and no water and our soul loathes what? This starts becoming worthless. We start detesting the word of God because the way the way, the way. You see, God has no issue with groaning. I told you yesterday, God has no issue with groaning and crying and weeping. He has major issues with complaining. In Exodus 2, scripture says, it now happened in the process of time the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out and their cry came up to God. And God heard their groaning. You are in trouble. Your marriage is in trouble. You have problems in your office. You are having trouble with your children. God says, I see your cry. I hear your groan. I see it. I'm not upset with you. I hear your cry. I hear your groan. What he is upset is when we grumble and we complain. Because when I 
grumble and complain which is coming from the same mouth, I am questioning the love, the character, the nature, the righteousness, the holiness, the integrity of God. And God says, I got an issue with that. I got an issue with that. And that's why your scripture will say in Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and they were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and they were destroyed by the destroyer. These both are the same. The snakes is in this chapter. The destroyer, the snakes were coming and biting them physically, but behind them, what is sending the snakes into the camp is the destroyer. And how did the destroyer came in? They opened it with their mouths. They opened the mouths. Meaning, the door that I shut, no man can open, but you can with your mouth. He has shut all the doors. And he says, don't worry, nobody can. If somebody says something about you, they cannot open the door. But you open your mouth, you open that gate. That's what it's talking about because our thinking has to change. If our thinking doesn't change, whatever we think ultimately will come out of our mouths because we are questioning who God is. What you know from the first generation is this. 40 years they followed God with their bodies and God took care of their bodies. But their minds, we couldn't renew it. The mind was in the hand of the enemy. The body was in God's hand. So God preserved their body, but he couldn't renew their mind. And ultimately, because of their mind, their body perished in the wilderness. That's truth of most Christians in 2000 years. Their bodies are preserved by God. They live up to 50 years, 60 years, 70, 80 years, but their mind is never, is never, never, never renewed. So they live a wilderness kind of life. A wilderness kind of life is where the scenery is the same. How was 2017? Just like 18. How was 19? Will be just like 18. If your mind is not renewed, God cannot take you to a new place. It's still the same. What are you struggling with? What I struggled with last year. What were you struggling last year? What I was struggling the previous year. Why? Nothing is changing in your life because he's just preserving your body because you refuse to allow your mind to be changed. So they went around for 40 years and ultimately they died. Whoever has my mind has my body. So they were walking. Minds were in Egypt. Bodies are in the wilderness. God is showering manna every day, water from the rock. The rock is Christ Jesus. Where is their mind? How do you know? Every time they open their mouth, they only spoke about Egypt. Every time if you and I open our mouth, only speak about the world and the ways in world does deal with life, then you can be very sure our mind is in the world. You can actually speak about your problems and then add a word which is interesting in KJB called nevertheless. Nevertheless. This is how God works. Nevertheless. God. It's not that you should be acting there are no problems in my life. No, God's not saying that. All the Psalms, half the Psalms of David is actually talking about his problems but when he ends he says nevertheless I speak to my soul. What is that? I speak to my mind. Mind, mind your own business. Let me tell you what God says about my situation. He constantly speaking to his soul, to his mind. Judas followed Jesus for three and a half years with his body. But his mind was in the world. 
ultimately the world swallowed him. The church of Christ, the bride, is not bodies that fill the pews, but minds that are being aligned to the mind of Christ. That is what it means, they became one. It's the mind. Pastors, pastors may be thrilled by bodies filling the pew. Christ is thrilled by minds that are aligned to him. That's why in the entire ministry, all he's looking for is somebody with faith. Somebody with faith. Somebody with faith. Little faith. It doesn't matter how little the faith is. That little faith is that part of your mind that aligns with the mind of Christ. God said there is a connection there. It's like one tiny little wire. You connect it, power flows. God says, little faith, because faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God goes down into your heart. You believe. And then when you believe, you speak. And of course, the completion is the work. So the first thing actually that goes is the mind. Once the mind has gone, it is just a question of time. The body will follow. Let me tell you, talk to older people, young people, married people, parents. If you have sign of trouble in your marriage, the first thing to leave a marriage is not the body, it's the mind. The mind has already moved away from you, your spouse. Your spouse's mind has already moved away from you. Just a matter of time before the body leaves. There are so many people who cringe and crawl and hold on to a body when the mind is already gone. That's how families break up. Families don't break up overnight. Families break up over a period of time because the mind is moving away and away and away and away. The body is still there. Body comes back, but you know the mind is gone. Now once the mind is gone, you can't hold on to the body. Or even if you hold on to the body, it makes no sense. It will go. You're just holding on to a body where the mind is gone. Even in, with children. That's the prodigal son. The prodigal son's decision on that day was not made that day. The father looks at him and knows his mind is gone. You can go. I'm not holding on to your body. What we did, we crumble under the pressure and says, please don't want, don't go, don't go. What do you want? Inheritance, I'll give you a double portion, but just stay with me. Now that's got nothing to do with him. That's got to do with you. You are a slave. You are a slave. That is why a restoration of a relationship begins with a restoration of thinking. Doesn't become a restoration of the body. Scripture says sitting in the hog pen, sitting in the pen with the pigs. This guy who has lost everything, Scripture says he came to his senses. It's a change of thinking. My father was always right. I was wrong. The mind reached his father's house days or weeks before the body reached. His mind reached. He came to his senses, got onto his feet. He made a journey back and the father realized, I got my son back because I got his mind back. And here is a son in the house who is there physically present with his body, yet his mind is so far away from understanding the mind of the father. He's there physically, never left, 
But his mind never understood the mind of his father. So there are two typical characters over there. Don't hold on to something when the mind has already gone. Instead, start applying your mind on the mind of the other person. Let's have slide one. Okay, this is how we are from God's perspective. Okay, we have a spirit, we have a soul, we have a body. God speaks to our spirit, but it has to be processed in the soul. The word of God goes into the soul. The voice of God speaks to the spirit, but to process it, you need to know your word in your soul. The processing center is this. How this receives it will decide where this goes. God doesn't straight away speak to the soul. He speaks to the spirit. The soul is processing it all, processing it all. Like I could speak for one and a half hours, but you may just hear one thing God tells you. That the, this thing received it, this processed it, that is God saying it, and it will give you three different proofs in your head from scripture saying, pastor is saying it, but the mind is bringing three other verses saying, God is speaking to you, and if you obey, your body follows. That's how it works. That's why one and a half hours word you hear, God may speak to you just once. But you need to be there with all your ears for that one and a half hours to hear what he's telling you. Let's have the next slide. So the soul is what matters. In the soul, it should be like this. The mind, the heart, the will, the emotions. A normal Christian soul should be like this. You hear it with your mind. You process it with your mind. You take the truth into your heart. You believe. And once you believe, you decide with your will, I'm going to do it. And your emotions becomes the powerhouse that makes you do it. So scripture will say about Jesus, once he has understood in his mind that the cross and the death on the cross in Jerusalem is God's will for him. He receives it, he processes it, he believes it, he submits his will to it. And scripture says he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. His emotions are all pushing him towards that side. And he wouldn't allow anybody to change his mind. That's how it works. And that is how it should work. This is the normal order for a godly person. But that's not how it always works. There is another one. Emotions are on the top. Emotions are on the top. So what happens? That's how most people are. Most of us were, if, I, if we haven't changed. When we hear, first thing that hits is the emotions. So we jump and we are excited. And you'll see in many YouTube videos, drums and music and people jump. It's all received at the emotional level. Your emotions tells you something is true. And you react. The mind is not being changed. The mind is not being changed. Mind is not being changed. Later, when you go out, the will comes here and you go back the old way. Those of you who have computers and <laughs> And iPhone, smartphones and all that, you know there's something in your system called default setting. Right? Default setting. Whatever you do, if that is not disabled, when you go back, the old setting comes back. The only way you can change the way you work is by disabling the default setting. So what happens is, our default setting is not disabled. That's the old way we receive things. So in the emotions, 
all of you are actually happy in the house of God. You love worship, you love the prayer, you love the word and you are very excited but the minute you step out the default setting comes back and you go the old way. Because you have never disabled your old settings. So nobody can convince you that you were not real in church because you were real in church and real outside also. But they are two different realities. That's basically what's happening everywhere. You know what scripture says in Hebrews 12? Let there be any fornicator of profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward he wanted to inherit the blessings, but he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with. He is weeping, but there is no change of mind. It's not change of mind. It's emotions at the top. I lost my blessing. I lost my blessing. My brother stole it. Daddy, 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 daddy. But that brother is gone. Well, he's prospering. All he wanted was money. And money is coming. He's got a good job. He's got a raise. He's got his promotion. His mindset never changed. Now he's prospered. He's still in his mind despises his birthright. He's not bothered about it. All he wanted was money. You know, that's the issue with believers. Christians is that they are reacting emotionally and they cry, they laugh, they jump, they scream. The mindset is not changing. So when they get out, the default setting comes in and they go the old way. It's very difficult to convince such a person that you didn't actually believe. Because for him, his reality is his tears, his laughter, his joy, his jumping, his singing, his songs. All that is right if it is accompanied with a change of mind. When I look at a case, the same case we looked earlier, chapter 21, Numbers. Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. They died. Okay. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be know all this. And who are looked upon it, say. Now go back to the beginning. All were bitten in this, in these verses, all were bitten, but many died. Many lived, many died. Why did they live? Because there was a change of mind here. They came back to the same man against whom they had spoken. Many people in Christendom have been bitten by the snakes. But they will not go back to the same people against whom they spoke. And they are dying of slow death or poison. They had a change of mind. They went back to that same man and said, We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord. And we have spoken against you. Pray to the Lord. So that man prays. prays. There's a consistent order in God's Bible. Three friends of Job spoke against God and spoke against him. At the end, God told Noah, Job, you pray for those guys. Otherwise, they will die. They will die. We don't realize why we die. A slow death. We look at our promotions and think we are living. God says you are spiritually wasting away. The poison has gotten. There is only one way you can be restored. That is a change of mind. How God works. 
align your mind to that, respond to that, you will live. Otherwise you will die. All were bitten. All didn't die. But many died. Repentance means change of mind. One of the primary things is change of mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, this is what scripture says. For godly sorrow produces what? Repentance. Your tears should produce a change of mind. And not be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now when I was incredibly naughty as a young boy, my father used to, you give me this medicine. And first beginning and all, when I cried, one, two, he stops. Then I learned the trick that before he takes a stick, I start crying. And he would tell me, you can cry as much as you want. You are going to get today's quota because he realized there is no change of behavior. You got spanked yesterday and today you are doing the same thing. You got spanked last week, you are still doing the same thing. But every time I take the stick, you cry. So there is a sorrow, it's no change of behavior. Worldly sorrow produces much death. If my skin should could talk, it would tell me how many cells died. <laughs> nice, nice, big wells. Godly sorrow should produce a change of mind which will lead to a change of situation, circumstances, because salvation has come in, because it has caused a change of mind. But if it is only received like Esau or Saul and other people in the Bible with emotions and not change of life, ultimately end will be death. Nothing else will bring change in our lives. That is what faith is all about. My heart, my mind, my heart, my emotions, my will completes itself in works. So James 2.17 will say, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So when did this stop coming on to me with brutal force? Is when my dad was convinced my behavior has changed. Many, when my behavior changed, that never had to come. He was not looking at my tears. He was looking at my behavior. And our behavior doesn't change. God says, Still going around in circles. Like I said, the prodigal son, it was not an overnight decision. Father must have been watching. I knew there was no point. Let him go. Another story of the prodigal son. All are different cases. If you are a sheep that was lost because of ignorance, I promise you, he will go to the ends of the world to search for you, to find you, to carry you back if you were lost because of ignorance. If you were dropped, there was a coin, the second parable, a coin that was dropped. When a coin is dropped, the coin has no control over it being dropped. It has no choice of choosing the place, letting me fall on a soft cushion. No, it falls on a hard ground maybe or among the jungle in the thickets. It has no control over where it is. It is, it is fallen. But you see an incredible searching for the coin and it is found. 
These are different case studies. Mephisobeth was a young boy because of the sin of his grandfather who sinned against God. Battle is lost. His mate trying to run dropped him. He was a dropped coin. And he was lame. But one day, God's broom called David finds him and says, Is there anybody from the household of Saul to whom I can show grace? And he will show grace, lift him up and put him on his own table and said, Eat like one of my sons. But the prodigal son, he knew what was right and what was wrong. And he said, I want my way out. Father said, go. I don't hold you. can go. There's only one way to come back. You will come back. When you have learned through life's experiences, bitter, hard, fiery experiences, there was only one way that was right. That was your father's way. Come back. And when you come back, unconditionally, you are received back. No other way. Learn from scripture. Learn from scripture. If it's a wrong decision, I was telling the young man yesterday, in the story of the prodigal son, there are no angels, no demons, no nothing there. Just a story in a home. If it's a wrong decision that got you into trouble, it is only a right decision will get you out of trouble. Nothing else will. You can call the greatest men in the world to pray over you. You can have all night prayer, fasting and prayer far away. But if it's a wrong decision that cost you into the pit, it's a right decision that will take you out. You have to have a change of mind. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. That's the only way in certain cases restorations will take place. And what about the elder son? Interesting character, right? Like when we shared yesterday, George picked up on it very fast. And the younger son, that's the problem with the younger son. The younger, it's called the younger son. The younger son is asking for his inheritance. You are here, spiritually, emotionally, you are young, and you are asking for something which you should receive now. Here, 10 years down the line. You're so inexperienced, but in your pride, in your arrogance, in your stubbornness, you're asking from God what you should have years later. And the father sees and says, take it. And because you are not ready for it, you take what was actually meant for you and you destroy yourself using it. And that's what we have parents have done. We have given to our children stuff they should have never had. Never, never had. Because they simply did not have the maturity to handle it when we gave it to them. Now they are sitting in the pig pen. And the thing is that, that's just one story. All prodigals don't come back from the pig pen. They love the pig pen. What about the elder son? Scripture says, When this fellow asked for his inheritance, the father divided the inheritance between the two. The elder son got his inheritance along with the younger one. But he did nothing with it. Years later, when the younger son comes back, he's so upset because they're parting. He says, I'm not coming in. You never gave me anything. Not a party at all. The problem is, when you don't make a decision in your life, that also is a decision. And there are a lot of people in Christendom who will never make a risk of decision of faith and they think I am cool. God says, not making a decision is equal to a decision. 
Even that is a decision. Years later you will see, you are still standing outside the father's house when the father had given you everything you needed spiritually to climb up to higher heights. You never made a decision. You never took it on his word and stepped out in faith. And that's the tragedy of the church is so much potential in the body of Christ. People do nothing with it. Nothing. No, I'll stick to the old, normal, safe ways. I'm not doing anything. I'm not taking any risk. I prefer the comfort of religion to that incredible walk of faith. Faith is full of risk. You have to fight giants and battle armies and go up the ravines, the mountains and down the ravines, all kind of in that journey. But it's an incredible journey because you experience the power of God there. And most people don't want to take that risk. They take the comfort of religion. That's why Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He had a mind. Yes, you also have mind. But let your mind be the mind of Christ Jesus. That is faith. When you and I actually get all the components of faith together and we act it out, at that point, the mind of Christ is manifested. And faith is an unbelievable equalizer. We, we don't, see, if we, if we don't understand faith, And our reason why we feel and we struggle with so many things to be approved by the world, our clothing, our buying, our possessions, our selfies, our Twitter, our our chat, all these things is simply because we never understood faith. Peter is there. Peter can sing. Rishi, Archie, all of them can sing. They can play so many instruments. What if God says, only if you sing, Well, your worship is accepted. Only if you can play the keyboard, you can, your worship is accepted. Only if you can play the guitar, your worship is accepted. Then how many of us our worship would be accepted? I can't sing. I can't play any instrument, but God says by faith, Abel worshiped God. The only thing you need in the church or in your house to worship God is faith. And faith is an equalizer. Puts everybody into the same bracket. It's an incredible equalizer. You don't need anything else. I don't have to sing like a professional singer. I don't have to play any instrument. I can come into the house of God full of talented people who can sing like the greatest singers. Play every instrument. God says, you bring faith and you worship faith. Your faith is accepted. That's all. You realize what faith does? Because we are created to worship. All the selfies, you look at the selfies. One politician, everybody, the Kerala CM took the phone from somebody else when somebody tried to take a selfie with him. You know, the great singer, when somebody, he took it, took the phone and deleted the selfie. Otherwise, everybody, Hollywood, Bollywood, singer, anybody, CM, PM, everybody, everybody wants a selfie. Why? Because you want to show others. You know the people I walk with? I walk with the PM, the CM. In church, pastors become like that. Oh, I want to walk with pastor. Can I have a picture? When I'm on a mission card, they'll always say, can I have a picture? I said, take it. I'm not a celebrity if you want to take it. You realize our obsession that we get recognition so that we can walk with somebody the world looks upon. Scripture says, by faith, Abel, Enoch walked with God. 
Forget all these people. They have a beginning and end. They die and dust unto dust. But there is one who is called God, everlasting to everlasting. God says, anybody by faith can walk with me. It's an equalizer. It doesn't matter about where you are from. You could be a village girl or a village woman from a little, little town. Nobody even knows where it is in the map, where there is nothing. But you got this. You heard it. You believed it. You chose and you walked with God. God says, you know what? Everybody's trying to walk with the PM and CM. That girl walks with me. Walks with me. And he looks down at Satan and says, Did you see in the land of Telangana? In that little village, there is somebody, where have you come from? He says, from walking to and fro from the earth to see who will walk with me. He said, did you find that person who walks with me there? Faith is an equalizer. He's an equalizer. We get our affirmation. We get our all this thing from our resumes, doctored and undoctored, right? Our degrees, our work, all work, 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 work. They'll say finally say work is worship. Work, 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 work. There is dignity. Definitely there is dignity in work, in labor. That's why the Son of God was a carpenter for 30 years. 30 years. But imagine if he was only a carpenter from the beginning or the end of his life. What a total waste of the most brilliant mind that ever walked on earth. This captures that mind that walked on earth. The last three and a half years, there was a work which he did, which came from his mind. Moses was a prince, he was a shepherd, but if everything, the only thing that is written about him was as he was a prince and he was a shepherd. But the next 40 years, he stands before God for 40 days and 40 nights and when he comes down, he comes down with the mind of Christ which is reflected in the stones that he brings, engraved the law of Lord. That's a mind that was put to work. Paul must have been a tent maker. It's absolutely nothing wrong in making tents. But if all that was done, what a terrible waste of the mind of Christ. And here you have 12 epistles written by this tent maker because his mind did the work of Christ. And God is saying, what in the world are you doing with your minds? You're called to do the work of Christ. Irrespective of your profession. A fisherman called Peter wrote First Peter and Second Peter. A fisherman called Paul, John wrote the gospel according to John, the epistle according to John 3 and the revelation. Because they put their mind to do the work of Christ. By faith. By faith. And faith alone. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your life. Because what he has given to you and to me is the mind of his own son. Have this mind. Be trained and grow into this mind. If there's something worse than a lazy body, it's a lazy mind. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Meaning, your mind also has a place where you can tighten the belt. When you're about to do our Indian old this thing, no, Dhoti, you know, you're Tie it up nicely. And if it's Kerala, we will take it and tie it up a second time. Then only we take our implements. Scripture says, God of the loins of your mind. There's nothing worse for God to see. It's a lazy mind. This mind, this mind of a born again believer is supposed to be handling the very truths of who God is, what God is, how he works and his ways. Which the world will never understand. 
And we waste this mind on those filth of this world without engaging this mind with the word of God. By faith. By faith. Nothing worse than a lazy body is a lazy mind. Don't be lazy. And how we activate our minds to rise up in the world and how we don't activate to grow in the knowledge of Christ. That's the sad part. That's the sad part. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica that they received the word with all. That's how you should come to church. Readiness of mind. Absolutely readiness. Your mind is ready so that it doesn't miss anything that is being spoken. It grabs all the, because the mind is ready and prepared to receive the truth and the ways of God. Come with the readiness of mind. That's why scripture says in James chapter 1 and verse 19. What does it say? So my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to Here, listen to God. Listen to godly voices. Be silent. To be listened. To listen. What does it mean? You have to be silent. Two people can't talk. That means nobody is listening to either. Either of them are not listening. That's why fights. in fights, nobody is listening. Learn the habit of if you have a fight in your family, go quiet. So at least you can listen to what the other person is saying. And you don't want to continue fine. You can at least form some arguments. But if both of you are talking at the same time, you're not listening. Because God, especially God, only speaks through silence. He never does otherwise. 400 years the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. 400 years of God's silence. And God took a man who had full of loud voices of the world, picked him up from Egypt, brought him into the wilderness, and taught him to live in silence for 40 years and then out of that silence from the burning bush God spoke to him and said you go speak to my people. They are living in the world. They cannot hear my voice. You have heard my voice. You go speak to them what I said to you. Because our God only speaks through silence. Any man in the Bible you look, he was taken to a place of silence where he trained his ears to hear the voice of God. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Not a single Word from God. And then God takes a child supernaturally born called John the Baptist as a young boy. Takes him into the wilderness. He's reared in the wilderness eating locusts and honey. And then scripture says the word of the Lord bypassing Jerusalem, the king, the governor, the high priest, everybody. It comes to John the Baptist because he had trained his ears in silence. So he was ready when God spoke to hear it. And I'm telling you, one word you hear from God, will change your life. Some of the things which you have been struggling for years and years and years with no change, you hear one word from God. Oh boy, it will change your life. But our ears are tuned to every other voice. That's why Psalm 8, no, Proverbs 8, 8.34. Proverbs 8.34. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates. You have to watch. Listening is watching. That's why I watch your eyes. Look at me. 
Because when you're not looking at me, you're not listening to me. It doesn't mean that if you look at me, you are listening to me. You need to listen and you need to watch. You cannot look elsewhere and listen. You cannot look at me and that doesn't mean you listen. You need both. Both. God says, blessed is the man who listens and who watches, waiting at the post of my door. Blessed is the man. Why? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Psalm 141 verse 3 will say, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips so that when I speak, it should not contradict your word. When I speak, it should be out of true faith and not out of sight. Not of my emotions, my flesh. It should be absolutely be ratified by your word. So listen, slow to speak. And what did the other, other previous words say in James 1.19? You know, James 1.19, we saw, let every man be slow, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why are you angry? First question God asks outside the God, why are you angry? You are angry because your emotion is at the top and not your reason. You are not, you are not standing there with a sober mind and listening to the arguments and immediately are jumping in emotions. That's why you are angry. That's why we get offended. First Samuel chapter 10 verse, and then in another 10 minutes we'll go to communion. First Samuel chapter 10 verse 1. Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Who is this? Saul. King Saul is being anointed. When he's anointed, you know what scripture says in verse 9? So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. He's anointed. He's got a new heart. A different heart. Move down, down the years. Another scene. First Samuel chapter 16. So he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes, good looking. Who is this? David. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Two different situations. Saul is anointed. Yes, down the lane, David is anointed. Saul has got a new heart. David has also got a new heart. What is the difference between the two? The difference between the two is their mind. The difference between the two is their mind. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. That's where do you find that? Let's have Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Where does that come from? It comes from your mind. You know who your shepherd is. And you know there cannot be lack as long as he's leading me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You have understood the ways of God. He leads me beside the still waters and he restores my soul. His soul, he restores my soul. Order has come. Emotion is not at the top. Mind is there at the top. 
Reasoning is heart is there at the top, the middle. The will is there. Emotions is what is pumping you. The paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you go through evil or good. Yet you have absolutely sure about God. You know who the person is. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And then you prepare a table before me. I'm not afraid of my enemies because I know you are still my victory. And my provision will come even when I'm surrounded by enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. Your anointing works because my mind is framed according to your mind. Therefore, the anointing works. There is no lack of anointing. Anointing is not working. It's because there is a lack of thinking like Christ. That's the difference between Saul and David. David's mind works like God's mind. Therefore, the anointing will sustain him till the end of his life. Samuel's, sorry, Saul's mind works like the mind of the world. It won't. The anointing won't help. Actually, the anointing will will propel him to death. Are you getting it? Do you know where our struggles are? Our struggles are not with the, the anointing. Our struggles are with our thinking. For the anointing to continuously work in our life, our thinking has to change. The head of Christ is... Head of Christ is? So if God's anointing has to work on Christ all the days of his life, he need to understand his head and his government. My government is God. My minds are controlled by my father. I will listen to my father's voice and I will walk and I will work and the anointing will flow into my life. The head of man is? Who is your government? You see? You see? As men sitting here, head means government, head of the government, head means government. Who is your government? Who governs your thinking? Men, I'm asking the men. Who governs your thinking? Is it random? Pick and choose? Or are you absolutely sure, Lord, in this 11th year, I commit my thinking, change my thinking, how radical it is, how difficult it is, it doesn't matter, Lord, I am open to your Thinking, I submit my will to your will. That's what Jesus says. If any man wills to do my will, he will know what true doctrine is, what true thinking is. Submit, Lord, and start changing. Then you will realize the anointing will flow into your lives and able to break the yokes in your homes, in your own lives. And the head of woman is, you see? You see? You see anointing flowing in your, in your life? Do you accept that government, that headship? Oh no, my husband, show us Abraham. Abraham was a nasty man who sold his wife to save his life. But God said, because she has come under that order, my anointing will flow into her. That Pharaoh, that man, Abimelech will not even touch her because my anointing will cover her and protect her because she knows her head. Her thinking was right. His thinking was warped. Still the anointing flew. Do we understand headship? Do we understand what? That's what the Bible says in Ephesians. What does it say? 6.17 Take the helm. You have to look at the combinations in the Bible. Helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Meaning your thinking will determine whether you win your battle or not. This is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. But how do you think? Randomly pick here and choose or is your thinking controlled by the word of God. Therefore the sword is effective in your life. Three strikes and the devil is out of Jesus' life. Because his thinking is controlled by the word of God. That's what God is talking about. 
Otherwise, 11th year will be like the 10th year. And the 10th year was like the 9th year. The 9th year was like the 8th year. It's a repetition of the same thing. These are just numbers with no significance. Unless we start changing the way we think. But that's real faith. How do we think? Because the head of God, Christ is God. And he showed what headship was. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of the children are the parents. Saul's anointing failed. Anointing didn't fail him. Saul's head failed him. Because his head was full of worldly, I can imagine, a head full of worldly ideas, anointed. Anointed. What happened to him at the end? What happened? So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilbo. They committed suicide. They are dead. What did the Philistines do? They cut off his head and took his body, pinned it against the wall, but they took his head. Your head was always ours. Even when you went in the name of Jehovah Shabbat, even though the hair was anointed with oil, we knew your head always belonged to us. So we are taking your head. Whom does your head belong to? Ultimately, that power will possess your head. Verses 11 and 12. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, traveled all night, took the body of Saul and the body of Saul. They only could get his body. What's the point of a body without the head? The head is gone. Well, Acts 13 verse 36. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. When he was buried, his head was with his body because his head always belonged to God. Therefore, the body also stayed with the head. So whether you sit here or you come regularly is not the point. Only I can only see your bodies. The issue is, where is your head? Do you remember David's first battle? Everybody knows David's first battle. It's all a battle in the head, like the WWF fellows. Before they fight, they will challenge all kind of words they will say. I saw it centuries ago, okay? I'm not that old, but centuries ago. All kind of things, because it is intimidating. David and Goliath, and David says, you come against me with the sword, the javelin, the spear. I come against you with the name of Jehovah Shabbat, you know? What do you think? I am a dog that you come. It's all that WWF thing going on, a giant and a small boy. And one sling. Giant is down. Then something happens. Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Brought the head. This is the idea that terrified you all these years. This idea, I overcome by the power of Christ. It is ideas that control you. Whatever idea, ideology controls you, that is what is you are in bondage to. God says, every Philistine idea, cut the head off, you overcome, and Christ overcomes. Because whoever has your mind, has you. Who has your mind? Who will have your mind when you go out of the doors of this hall? Who will have your mind? And scripture says, have this mind that was also in Christ Jesus. Overcame everything. 
Overcame the flesh, overcame sin, overcame the devil, overcame the world, overcame death. Because that was the mind. And God says, that's what I have given to you when you were born again. I have given you his mind. Now let that mind grow. Did you see what the head represents? I anoint the head. In a family, a believing family, let's say Vijay and Jacinth, okay, believing family, God anoints Vijay's head. That anointing flows into her if she aligns her mind with his. Otherwise, she blocks it. And when they come in alignment, in one headship, one mind, the the anointing starts flowing from them and start touching Abigail and Emmanuel because the anointing flows down. The head of man is Christ. And the head of woman is man. And the head of the children are the parents. That's how it flows. It is this that has to align. And the anointing works. Don't blame the anointing. Don't blame the Holy Spirit. It's our mind. It's our mind. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what anointing you have. This doesn't change. This doesn't change. The anointed man. Let me give you one more example before we go to communion. Judges chapter 16. He told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from a mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and shall become weak and be like any other man. Who is this fool? Samson. Opened his mouth and gave his incredible spiritual secret to a Gentile girl. The minute she gets the news, she's on her iPhone. Hello, sir, Philistine leader. Where I got, I got it, I got it. Let's look. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, not, see, emotions. How can I keep it from you? You're troubling me, but I love you so much. Okay, for your ears only. Okay, Delilah, this is my secret. Delilah broadcasted. All Philistine radio, this is. Hmm? (laughs) Come up once more for he has told me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her. Where is his head? Where is his head? Where is his head? On her lap. Do you think the anointing will work? Is the anointing going to save him? No, it's not going to save him. Your thinking has been compromised and it's on the lap of that Gentile woman. The thinking has been compromised. All she has to do is take your consecration. You're done. You're done. That's what the world is trying to do. Come. Come. We know your head. We understand your head. Please sleep on our lap. Please sleep. We know your head. You're dangerous. But we won't tell you that. We'll say, come sleep on our lap. Come. We don't understand. They understand. And the head is gone. So this 11th year, as we go to communion, ask, who has my mind? Because whoever has your mind owns you. And the devil, through the world system, is after our mind. And God, through his son, the word of God, and his spirit, is also after our mind. He anoints my head with oil. And this portion is there. If it works properly, doesn't matter, green pastures, Valley of shadow of death. Wilderness, enemies around. I know something. I see my cup overflow because my thinking 
will determine which way my anointing flows. I can finish like David or I can finish like Saul. Both were anointed by the same man, same oil. Both were anointed. One ended his body on a Philistine wall, head in the hand of the Philistine. Other one rested with his forefathers. Nicely, old age, but before when he began his first day, he decided, this thought life is not going to captivate me. I am going to overcome this worldly thinking. He brought the head of the Philistine into the Israelite camp. How do you live? It's how you think. So the question is, how do you think today? Thought of faith, it's impossible to please God. Because faith is how God thinks. That's how he thinks. And he says, when you walk in faith, you think just like me. How can I stop working in your life? So this morning, ask the worship team to come. The elders to come. We go to the first communion of our 11th year. And I pray the emblems that come to you, comes to you with power. Because you are preparing your mind, your heart to receive Two emblems that signify everything to us. The word and the spirit. The body and the wine. Father, this morning we just come to you. You are a table. This is your table, Lord Jesus. A table you have instituted for us and before us until the day you come back. And I pray, Father, as we have entered into our 11th year, we will come to this table fearfully reverentially and yet joyfully Lord knowing that as we partake of these emblems of your body and your blood that was shed in faith it will bring deliverance it will build healing it will bring boldness and it will bring strength to each one to walk in faith to worship in faith and to serve in faith so Father I pray Let every heart be touched. Every mind be renewed. And our bodies be offered as living sacrifices to God who redeemed us with His own body and His blood. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
this 11th year. Ask this question. Who has my mind? Or how much of my mind does God have? It doesn't change in one day. But it has to keep changing every day. You see, in your computer and in your in your phones, when you do your letters or whatever, you will see this small dustbin. Right? You have a dustbin. You need to have one dustbin in your head too. Every time you hear the word of God and your mind, the scripture confirms it, it is the word of God, your heart believes it, go take the other worldly idea and put it in the dustbin. But remember, you can retrieve in your computer from the dustbin. Don't do that. Empty the dustbin. Otherwise, when after 10 years in the promised land, there was something in the dustbin and when trouble came, Sarah told Abraham, I brought something from Egypt. It is still there. Her name is Hagar because she forgot to empty the dustbin. Okay, so don't keep it, delete it. You replace every idea that is not, because the world is a mind, Babylon is a set, a mindset. Babylon is a mindset. Multiple sets of mind, every religion is a mindset. Islam is a mindset, it's a series of ideas. Hinduism is a series of ideas. Buddhism is a series of ideas. But the overruling idea is none of this. Because most Muslims don't know Islam and those who know are very nice people. Honestly, they're very, religion is a very nice, nice force for the society. The real Hindus who know the Gita are very nice Hindus. The radicals don't know their scripture. The Buddhists you meet, some of them are the nicest people you will ever meet. Such kind, gentle, generous people. Because there is mindsets. But most people don't know even what is the core of their texts, including Christians. God says, nobody can live without a mindset. Nobody lives without an idea which controls you. If you do, you will be in the insane asylum. You are mentally gone. Everybody has set of ideas on which they function. The issue is, is it true? Is it true? So the issue is not where your body is today. The issue is where is your mind today? Because where your mind is today, your body will go tomorrow. I told, tell every church I go, I tell them, it takes 40 days to break the strongest stronghold in your life, not one day more. You can change your entire mindset like Moses did. In 40 days, comes down the mountain with the mind of Christ. Two rocks, tables of stone, which was cut by God, cut by God, and written by God. But when he came down and he saw, found a mindset down had changed completely and gone in the Hebrew way, sorry, the Egyptian way, what happened? His old temper surfaced. And what did he do? He broke the tablets. Read your scripture carefully. Next time God says, I will write. You cut the rock. You cut the rock. 
When God cuts something for us, it's very easy. Now he says, you cut, I write. So he will cut our heart until his, our, his laws are written on our soul. Then we will remember it. But here now, change your thinking. Change our mindset. Constantly change. Replace what you know. Contradicts the word of God with the word of God. And I am telling you, between the head and the cup is a mind. You get your mind right, your cup will overflow. So it doesn't matter where your body is today. Ask yourself this question. Where is my mind? If your mind is in the right place, it doesn't matter what the world does to you. The world can drag your body in chains and starvation and take you on a thousand mile journey and bring you to Babylon. Change your name, change your dress, change your setting, put you right in the Babylon court but your mind is in Jerusalem. So your mind will function and says, I purpose in my heart, I will not defile myself because my mind is with Christ, the body is with them. But if the mind doesn't change, like the rest of the sons of Judah, except for his three friends, their mind was already in Babylon when they were living in Jerusalem. So when they were brought to Jerusalem, they loved it and they assimilated into that culture because that's what they all went to the synagogues. They all listened to the God synagogues, the temple. They all listened to the prophets. They all listened to the teaching. But the mind was in Babylon. So when Babylon came and took, God says, let them go. They are Babylonians in mindset anyway. And I will have four witnesses there who are Hebrews. That is the final tribulation. The final separation when Babylon takes over this whole world, we will know whose mindset is Christ and whose mindset is this world. Therefore, we change our thinking now over and over and over and over. That's why scripture says, submit to God and resist the devil. Don't submit to God, his word, his spirit. There's no way I can resist the devil. You can resist the devil. We cannot. He will overcome us. Only two things God asked from Joshua. You are going to lead this people into the promised land. You will possess it. Every place the sole of your foot treads, I give it to you. Two things. One, don't fear. Do not fear. Be bold and courageous. Do not fear. Second thing, meditate upon my word Day and night. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn to the right. Do not let it depart from your mouth. You want to succeed? To the life of Christ? He says, don't think. Don't be afraid of the enemy. He uses tactics called intimidation. That's why scripture says the devil is a roaring lion trying to intimidate. Submit to God. Resist him. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't fear. Meditate upon my word. Let it be the way you think. He came to the people and said, what do you say? They said two things. As God was with Moses, let him be with you. And sir, you are our leader. Be bold, be courageous. Nothing more needed to conquer the promised land. A mindset and boldness. A mindset and boldness. When persecution broke out in the book of Acts, 
They didn't ask for rescue. They said, the mindset is the mind of Christ. And Lord, give us boldness. And they went and conquered the whole world to Christ. But if this doesn't change, doesn't matter where we sit, Babylon has conquered us. So scripture says, humble thyself before God and he will exalt you. That's our difficulty. All ideas are there. All ideas are there. We have to humble ourselves and lift this up and say, Lord, I humble myself before this. I was telling yesterday, one person, one person alone, as far as I can remember in the four gospels, for her healing, God had nothing to, no, Jesus had nothing to do with it. He didn't even know somebody was healed until she was healed. It's a woman with a 12 years issue of blood. You know what? Scripture says, she heard. She heard about Jesus. And she said, if only I could touch the hem of his robe. I won't touch him. because That's the law. I touch him, he's unclean. I will touch not even his sleeves, not his collar, not which is easily accessible, the hem of his robe. What you see is humility at its best in physical form. An old woman on her knees, touching the head. God says, my son doesn't see, I see. Get healed. Virtue flows. And he said, who touched me? Who touched me? Humble thyself before the Lord. Next instant, she is lifted up by God and Jesus says, daughter, go in peace. I had nothing to do with this. Your faith healed you. Your faith healed you. Understand that. God, every idea we raise before the knowledge of Christ Jesus is a sign of pride. Sign of pride. That's the problem with ideas. Anything you think is right when it doesn't agree with the word of God is pride. God opposes the proud. Even among him, his own people, he opposes the proud. The way you become humble is not walking like this. The way you become humble is inside. You say, Lord, this is the way I thought. This is the way you think. I humble myself and elevate your thought. I humble myself. Everybody is screaming. Everybody is scared. King is scared. Everybody is scared. The man is nine foot tall, all covered in bronze. Lord, inside my heart is also going tuck, 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 tuck. But Lord, not my feelings, not what I think, but what you think. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he dare defy the armies of the living God? God said, humble man. Humble man. His mind is aligned to my mind. Irrespective of your servants, his circumstances, he's a humble man. When his own brother said, you proud fellow, why did you come here leaving the sheep? Humility is not got to do with the way you walk and the way you talk and all that. It has got to do primarily the way you think. The way you think. How you think. When God says, when you think my way, I will talk to you more. Because I can talk to you. I am humble, you are humble. We can talk. Two, two, two humble people can talk. Can a humble and a proud talk? No, only the proud will talk. The humble will listen. And if the humble speaks, the proud will accept nothing. 
But God is humble. He says, look for one humble man, humble child, anybody, and I can talk to them. Will you be woken up in the night if you are a child? Samuel, Samuel, yes. Samuel, Samuel, yes. He's humble. We will put our pillow over our head. Please, don't disturb me. Amen? Shall we pray? Come, let's stand up. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, starting today, there would be a deliberate attempt in the lives of your people to change the way they think. For your word says, have this mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, a mind that thinks like God, a mind that values things that God values. A mind that sees the end as God sees. The mind that sees life as God sees. A mind that sees people as God sees. Oh, Father, help us to think the way you think. Therefore, we will speak the way you speak. And therefore, we will work the way you work. Unless our mind changes. Our conversation won't change. Our works won't change. And our entire lives will be lived in futility, O Lord. Your word says, O Lord, the entrance of your word brings light. And wherever your light has it entered or we have blocked, we are still living in darkness. But I pray this year, there will be a definite battle against darkness. Because wherever darkness is in our minds, behind them are also powers of darkness. And I pray we will allow your light to come in. And I pray, Lord, bondage after bondage, yoke after yoke will be broken. Because when the light comes, the anointing flows. I pray into every crevice, dark corner of the human mind here. I pray your light will flow and your anointing will flow. And blind will see. The deaf will hear. The spiritually lame will walk. The prisoners will be set free. The sick will be healed. And you will have a set of people, oh Lord, whose hearts are on fire for God, oh Master. I believe, Lord, for your people that many will definitely make an effort to change the way they think. We'll see the fruit we harvest in the years to come. Because you do your work silently, quietly in the minds of people. Pulling down strongholds, imaginations, thoughts, bringing everything to the captivity of Christ Jesus. When in our thought life, our obedience is perfect, then Lord Christ will be magnified in everything. For that's the word you gave us ten years ago to build this church. That in all things, in all things, Christ Jesus should have three eminence. And it begins with our minds, O oh Lord. I pray, Father, in our minds, in our thoughts, May you have preeminence in our words. 
may you have preeminence in our hearts. May you have preeminence in our emotions. May you have preeminence in our will. May you have preeminence in our works. May you have preeminence, O oh Lord. We just surrender ourselves as a church. Be with us. Go before us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Once again, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Now by faith, we lift up holy hands, O oh Lord. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.